All right, once again, good morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is John Paul Osteen. My official title here at First Baptist Beaumont is Pastor of Worship and Creative Arts, uh, which basically just means I do music usually in this service. And I'm, I'm uh, in charge of any kind of artsy stuff that goes along around, around the church. Um, I also am the, our student minister at this time as well. So I know some of you see me week after week and may not realize who I am, but that's, that's me. That's who I am. Our pastor is not here today. He is with our children's minister and a group of other adults who have taken our children to preteen camp. So they're at preteen camp right now. Today is their last full day. They will be coming home tomorrow. So we ask you guys to pray for them as they're away and as they travel uh, back into town tomorrow. Um, And especially pray for the moms of the little boys who didn't take a bath all week long, okay? (laughs) And wore the same underwear every day. I went swimming. That counts for something. Yeah. There's always one or two of those. Um, You know, this morning... uh, Wrapping up the sermon series, Family Inc., you know, we've been talking about verses that are important. If you had to memorize any, any verse in the Bible, these are the verses that we would want you to memorize. Um, and today, I'm going to be focusing on 1 Corinthians 13, 13. That's uh, one of my favorite verses. I love that verse. Um, and I'm talking about a simple concept today. But yet, it's something that we need to be reminded of probably on a daily basis. So as you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians 13, and I'll read the last verse there of that chapter. It says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. God, this morning as um, we open your word, as I speak, I pray that the words that I say today will not be my own, but that they will be yours Lord, if there's someone here today who has never fully experienced the love of Christ, the, the life-changing love of Christ, that today would be the day that their eyes would be open, that they would hear the Holy Spirit calling them, that they would come running. Um, for those of us, God, who, who have experienced that love, remind us today of our responsibilities to carry out that love within our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, you know, love is talked about quite a bit in the Bible. Um, there are some other verses that, that talk about love. Um, a couple of them would be First um, John. Actually, the whole book of First John deals a lot with love, but First John 4, 7 and 8 talks about love, and, and basically it says there at the end that those who do not love they don't know God. They don't know who God is. They don't know God. That's pretty powerful. First um, Peter 4.8 tells us that above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So we see the power of love, how powerful love is and how it can cover the multitude of sins. First uh, John 3.18 uh, basically says, don't love with words or speech, but love in action and truth. In other words, it doesn't matter how much you say you love, let your actions prove it. In fact, it's better just to prove it with your actions than to say how much you do. Um, Then one of my favorite verses throughout Scripture is that in Matthew, whenever the Pharisees came to trap Jesus with a question, and they asked him, hey, 
what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered and said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And the second one is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So there we find that Jesus himself says the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. So today we're going to be talking about love. Now, in our English language, there's many different types of love, but we always use the same word. We only have one word to describe all of them, and that's love. For example, I love a number one with cheese, what a sized fries, and a chocolate malt from Whataburger. I love that. But my love for Whataburger is not the same as my love for my eight and 10 year old little girl, right? Hopefully not, right? Sometimes I feel like I might give them up for a Whataburger, but, but it's a different type of love. I say, man, I love Whataburger, yes. Um, and, and the love I have for my children, um, it's not the same type of love that I have for my wife. You know, as, as someone who, who deals with youth ministry and students, I hear students a lot who are in relationships tell each other that they love each other. And I'm thinking, especially when, it, when they're in middle school, I'm like, what do you, you don't even know what you're saying. And sure, whenever you were in middle school, think back, and you had that girl or that guy that you thought you loved. I mean, in your, in your mind, it was real. But as you've gotten older, those of you who are married, it's a totally different type of love, right? It's not the same kind of love that you have for your spouse. It's on a whole different level. So we use the word love a lot, and sometimes, uh, most of the time, we use it too flippantly. We talk about love when, in reality, it's not real love. Um, now, the love that Paul is talking about in this passage of Scripture, in the Greek is a word agape, and it's the, the deepest, strongest type of love. It's a love that is selfless, a love that sacrifices itself for the, for the betterment of others. And the love that Paul talks about here, you know, it's a supernatural love. It's a love that cannot be experienced without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you know, we can't expect people who are not saved to experience or exemplify this type of love in their daily life. Unfortunately, we do. We expect everybody to have this kind of love, but no, this is a supernatural love that cannot be displayed without the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, in this, the chapters leading up to this, Paul is having a discussion with the Christians in the church of Corinth. And there were many there within that church who were immature in their faith. And there was this big argument going on about the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit and what gifts were more important? Who should have what gifts? And Paul talks about all these gifts. And then at the tail end of it, he goes into this chapter right here. And he explains that basically the fruit of the Spirit is more important in the Christian life than the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. You know, and whenever the church begins to strive for miraculous experience... Rather than Christian holiness and character, several things happen. There's division, 
within the church. There's confusion within the church, and there's carnality within the church. So many people are chasing an experience rather than being obedient to what God has already called them to do. Now, Paul begins saying here, he says, if I speak in verse 1 of chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. The first thing we find here is that love is great. It's essential. And love is greater than spiritual gifts alone. He says, if I speak with the tongues of angels, if I, if I have faith that is strong enough to move mountains, if I can prophesy, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. So many of us would rather do miraculous things than to just exemplify true love the way God expects us to. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to exemplify the type of love that, that Paul calls us to here. Um, not only is love greater than spiritual gifts alone, but in verse 3, we see that love is greater than sacrifice. Look, notice what he says. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Wow. Love is greater than sacrifice. Sacrifice alone is nothing. You know, there are some other versions of the Bible who use a different word than love. They use the word charity. And when we hear the word charity, we automatically think of some nonprofit or we think of the Santa Claus standing there ringing the bell at Christmas time where we throw in our excess change. And that's a form of charity. But charity means essentially love in action. And the type of love that Paul is calling us to right here is a love that does something. It's a love that does. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, that's because it's the title of a book called Love Does. If you've never read that book, I challenge you to get it and read it. It's a great book. It's funny. It's witty. And it's convicting all at the same time. Love Does. Um, it's a great book. Uh, but love, true love that Paul's talking about here actually does something. You know, many Christians believe that the Christian life is all about sacrifice, whether sacrificing our money, our life, and martyrdom for the cause of Jesus Christ. But here Paul tells us that sacrifice is important, but without love, it is useless. You know, it doesn't do any good if you're making a sacrifice, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, sometimes people make what they would consider to be a sacrifice, but they're doing it to receive some type of accolade or some type of glory for themselves or just to make themselves feel better about who they are. And Paul tells us that while it's good to sacrifice, unless you sacrifice with love, the type of love we're talking about here is a love that gets nothing in return, a love that puts others before yourself, 
a love that looks out, not just for your interest, but the interest of others. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Philippians chapter 2 right here. The, that type of love. If you don't have that type of love when you sacrifice, then what you're doing is useless. It profits nothing. So, whenever you go to give to your favorite charity, and believe me, I have a charity of my own, and I love for people to give to our charity, but don't just give to make yourself feel better. Don't just give because it's the end of the year and that's what you should do, or you need a tax break. Now, if you do need a tax break, we're happy to help you out and get that tax break, but we want you, the way you benefit whenever you give sacrificially, is to give just for love because God has loved you and you want to see the love of Christ shared with someone else. You know, not only is love greater, but we're going to talk about love defined. It's effectual. The effects that love have. See, gifts have no spiritual effect on the life of the church if there is no love. The Spirit uses love to build the church. We find that out in 1 Corinthians 8, 1. So, as we go through this passage of Scripture here, let's look at some of the things. Now, I've kind of like written one of my notes here. So, instead of me reading the verse, I'm going to read my notes because some of them are not quite in order. But they're talking about the same thing. So, the first thing I want to look at is what love is. The first thing that is mentioned in this chapter here is that love is patient. Love is patient. I don't know about you, but I struggle with patience. I'm more patient now than I was when I first got married, now that I have kids, and now that I've gotten a little older, but I still struggle with patience. Um, And as I read these things out to you this morning, I want you to look at yourself. Look internally. And ask yourself, what is it that I struggle with the most? Because we all struggle with these things. On some level, but some of them we tend to struggle a little bit more with, and it's different for everybody. So, as you hear something that you struggle with the most, put an asterisk by it or draw a circle around it. Ask God to help you get over whatever it is that you're struggling with there. Patience. I need more patience in my life. Love is patient. Love is not only patient, but love is kind. Are you a kind person? Do you consider yourself to be kind? Not only uh, do you consider yourself to be kind, but do others consider you to be kind? Now, let's go back to the patience thing for a second here, because I kind of I didn't do that justice. And since, you know, they say what preachers tend to preach about the most is the thing that they struggle with the most, and so we're going to talk about patience just for a second, because I struggle with that a lot, right? Um, you know, as a Baptist, we believe um, in the doctrine of what we call eternal security, whereas if you're saved, you're always saved, or another way to say it is perseverance of the saints. And, or another way to say it is that we believe we cannot lose our salvation because there's nothing that we have done to earn our salvation. Um, but if I did believe I could lose my salvation, the place I would lose it the most would be in my car. Because when it comes to patience and driving, that's where my patience is tested the most. Because everybody else on the road is an idiot except for me. Nobody else knows how to drive except for me. Um, 
I'm going to confess something here just for a moment. Some of you may have heard this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Whenever I was living in Alabama as a youth pastor, uh, I was on my way on a Sunday night. We had a, a thing going on at our, at our church, and I was on my way to get there on time. I was trying to get there, and I got stuck behind this minivan, and it was going really slow, and I couldn't get around it, and I'm getting frustrated. My blood is boiling. You know, if I'd have died right then and I could have lost my salvation, I'd have gone straight to hell. I mean, I was just, I was so angry. I was just trying to get around this, trying to get around this car. As I got beside it, I decide I'm going to give him the stink eye. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like when somebody's really ticked you off and you drive next to him and you just go. You make eye contact. You want them to know that you know that they are in your way. So here I am, speeding up, <clears throat> driving really fast. I pull up next to her, and I look over to give the stink eye. It's a girl who's just learning how to drive, who's a member of our church and in my youth ministry, and her mom. Luckily for me, thank God, because I, I was like, <sighs> thank God she did not look at me. She was so nervous. You know, she's like, <laughs> 10 and 2. <laughs> She's not looking. And I, I was able to get in front of her without any problems. She never saw. At least her mom would have called me on it because that, that's how her mom was. And they didn't, they didn't notice it. So I, w- I got lucky on that. And that was a moment where God was like, see, you got to be careful. you got to watch how you act. I developed this phrase where I used to say it all the time. And I used it most when I was in my car was love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. When somebody cut me off, love like Jesus. Thank you. You are more important than me. Go ahead. There's the way. Love like Jesus. You know, I was having a hard time with, with my patience. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm sure we all struggle with something. Maybe it's not driving. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's an employee or an employer or a coworker. Maybe it's someone within your family. If you're married, maybe it's an in-law. You know, we all have people in our lives that tests us when it comes to patience. I remember whenever Elizabeth and I first moved here uh, in May of 2009, for seven weeks we lived with her parents. And it was really good and great for the first couple weeks. And then it started getting stressful because she's living with her parents and she's a grown adult. Not that her parents were being rude or anything like that or, 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 or coming down on her, but it was just stressful. We're not in our own house. We had things that we wanted to do the way that we wanted to do them. They had their own methods of doing things, and it tested our patience, and it tested their patience. And when we got out of there, we all gave each other high fives, and it was like, all right, you know, <laughs> we can be happy with each other again because it, it, it tested all of our patience. Um, so, once again, I'm not sure what it is that you struggle with this morning, but I'm sure there's someone who causes you um, to check yourself when it comes to your patience periodically. And being kind. Are you a kind person? Do people think that you're kind? Are you kind-hearted? When you see someone in need, do you help them out? Are you the type of person people can go to and depend on whenever they have something that they need? So we've talked about what love is. Let's look at what love isn't. Love isn't arrogant. 
that was something I've struggled with my whole life is arrogance. You know, growing up, being the baby of five, being raised like an only child, the whole world revolved around me, right? Everything, my whole existence, everybody was there, existed to gratify me in my existence. I was always waited on. I was always taken care of. I was always given the things I wanted. You know, when I was in 10th grade, didn't have my driver's license yet, was fixing to take the driver's license test. My dad bought me a brand new Tacoma pickup truck, Toyota Tacoma, off the lot. Didn't even have a driver's license yet. That just shows to show you how spoiled I was. And I was arrogant. I thought I deserved it all. I thought I was better than my brothers and sisters. I still kind of think I do sometimes. Um, I, I still think my mom loves me more than them. I'm the favorite. But um, I, had, I struggled with arrogance. And God has a way to knock you down when you get arrogant. God has a way to humble you. And love is not arrogant. Why? Because when we love the way Christ loves us, many times that means we have to lower ourselves. We have to lower ourselves because sometimes we don't want to forgive or sometimes we don't want to be kind or patient. And a lot of it has to do with our pride and our arrogance. And the next one is rude. Love isn't rude. How many of us are rude and we just chalk it off to our personality? Well, I just tell it how it is. No, you're just rude. No, I, I, just, I just have a personality where I speak my mind. No, you're just rude. I mean, how many times are we just rude with people? Love doesn't, um, love isn't irritable. Oh, my goodness. At the end of a work day, when I get home, I can get irritable with my kids and my family. But love isn't irritable. Love isn't resentful. How many of you have a hard time just letting stuff go? Somebody does you wrong. This kind of ties in with the arrogance thing as well. You're too arrogant to just let it go. Because they did you wrong. And nobody does you wrong like that and gets away with it. Love is not resentful. Here's some things that love doesn't do. Love doesn't insist on its own way. This kind of all ties in with selfishness, I think. This is all the opposite of love, right? Love is sacrificial, is selfless. It thinks of others first. The wrong kind of love, our love that we have for ourselves many times, is a selfish love. We think that we're more important. We want our way all the time. When it comes to your friends, you're not going to back down when, it, when everybody wants to go to eat somewhere because, no, you got to have your way all the time. If you're on a, on a group trip with your family or something, you've got to have your way all the time. If you're in an argument with your wife, you've got to have your way all the time. Love does not insist on its own way. And love does not rejoice at evil. How many times have you found yourself whenever something bad happened to somebody that you didn't like, you were like, mm-hmm, yeah, they got what was coming to them. They deserved that. How many of you, if you're honest with yourself, don't raise your hand, but inside you smiled? Yeah, I mean, I'm guilty of that. But if we're really living out the type of love that Christ has called us to, we do not rejoice in evil. We do not rejoice when someone has misfortune or something bad happens to them. Here's some things that love does. Love does rejoice 
with the truth. Whether it's easy to hear or not, love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. You know, we are called to bear one another's burdens. We are called to look out and see our brother and sister in need and go alongside of them and help them carry that load. Love believes all things. You know, sometimes we have those people in our life and we, we have a hard time believing in them. But if we love them, we'll believe in them. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Here's a big one right here. Love endures all things. Notice it uses the word all. It doesn't say love endures some things or love endures the things that are convenient to me. No, love endures all things. That means when somebody does me wrong, regardless of what it is, love endures that. You know, Jesus Christ himself said, it's, it's one thing, it's easy to forgive your enemy. But I want you, excuse me, he said it's easy for you to give the people who are good to you, but I want you to forgive your enemy. I want you to love your enemies. Don't just love the people who do good to you, but love the people who despitefully use you, who are rude to you. The people who you consider to be your enemies. Love those people. Now, not only is love greater, not only is it, do we define it here and it's effectual, but love is forever. It's eternal. Notice here what Paul says about the gifts in verse 8. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So he says here, all these things, these gifts that you're trying to attain, they're going to end, but love never ends. The Corinthians were seeking passing spiritual gifts instead of lasting Christian character. God wants us to seek after the fruit of the Spirit. He wants us to seek after the true love, not things that make us look good. Another thing he says here is that what we think we know will end, but love never ends. He says in verse 9, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Whatever it is that we think we know here on this earth, one day that's going to come to an end because we're going to get to heaven and God's going to allow us to know everything that he knows. And some of the things that we thought we knew may not be quite as true as we thought they were. We may not have been right on that. But you know what? Love never ends. You know, several years ago, I was at a place in my life where um, I felt like God was calling me to start an organization to help um, these children in, in Brazil. And when I was doing that, I, I was reading God's word, and 
I was looking at this passage of Scripture. When I read this last verse, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I begin to think to myself, like, why is it that God says, or that the Apostle Paul says here that love is the greatest of these three? Because, you know, if I'm talking about something that's evan- evangelistic, where I'm trying to reach people, faith is pretty dang important, right? People need to have faith in God. Um, hope, that, that's really important. People need hope. And yeah, love is important, but why is love the most important thing? So I, just, I was just reading this verse over and over again, thinking about it, trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden, something came to me. You know, when I love somebody the way Christ has loved me, and when I share the love of Christ with someone in a real way, it brings hope. It plants a little bit of hope in their life. You know, if you, if you go to somewhere on a mission field and you're trying to minister to people who have no hope, they're poor, they don't even know where their next meal is coming from, and you love them, the way this love is here, love in action. Not just saying, I love you, but proving your love by doing something physical for them. It gives them a little hope. Maybe hope in humanity. Maybe hope that there's a way out of the poverty that they're in. But ultimately, if they see the love of Christ in you, they will begin to have hope in Jesus Christ. And so that love breeds hope and now that hope has a chance to turn into faith. So if we look at it backwards, love leads to hope. And hope, in return, leads to faith. And ultimately, that's what our goal is, is for everyone to believe who Christ is. For everyone to believe in Jesus Christ as their sacrifice for their sins. But it starts with love. Who's going to believe in your, your Savior if you don't love, if you don't live a life of love, if you're rude, if you're selfish, if you're arrogant, if you're resentful, if you always insist on having your own way? Who's going to believe you when you try to tell them about Jesus Christ? Before you can tell someone about Jesus Christ, they need to see something real in you. They need to see the love of Christ in you. And that love will breed hope. And that hope will then ultimately lead to faith in who Christ is. Guys, this week, as you go home, this is not a profound message. This is not something new. But it's something that's important. And it's something that we need to consider. And we need to think about it during our week. How are we loving? Once again, it's not something that we can do on our own. This is a supernatural love. This is something that comes from Christ. I challenge you this week. Every morning as you get up, pray and ask God to help you to love like him today. Throughout the day, when that person is getting on your nerves, that irritates you, pray and ask God to help you have patience and love them the way he loves you. If we can do that, 
the world will see a difference. If we can start doing that, maybe people will want to know who our God is. Let's pray. Lord, today I I pray that, that you would just help us to live out the truth of your gospel message. Help us to live out the love that you've loved us with. Lord, love is the greatest. And I pray that our love will lead to hope in others' lives. It'll bring hope, and that hope will lead to faith in you. We don't want people to be proud of us or have faith and confidence in us, but God, we want people to have faith and hope in you. If there's someone today who has not ever experienced the love of Christ in an intimate, true way, God, please let today be that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.